Listen, I'm excited you guys are with me this morning. Uh, we have got a great, great message. And we've been talking, remember, we were in Great Escape has been our overall campaign, our overall uh, message series that we're doing through the book of Exodus. What we're looking at today is that little mini series we're doing, which is called A Willing Heart. A Willing Heart. This is another part of A Willing Heart. Now, last week, we were with the craftsmen. We were with all those that were giving their offerings as everything construction was getting ready to get started. Everybody's doing their work. There is an excitement in the camp. There's a fervor that they had. They have a common mission and a common focus, and the people are all coming together. But one of the things what God stopped us on last week was that we were going to look at the intentions of their hearts. We were going to look at the things that stop many Christians from going forward. And we looked at that last week in that message, which was titled, The Intentions of the Heart. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to pick back up. Now, we only got to Exodus 36, 1 last week. We got to that one verse, but God certainly gave us something special that I think we can all use. But today, we're going to pick up again at Exodus 36, 1, and we're going to go into the continuing verses beyond that, all the way to verse number 7, as we now join these craftsmen, as we join these that are working with great excitement to fulfill God's plan and God's purpose. They have a heart and a commitment level that is extremely high. And we see that in their evidence here in our message, which is titled, Above and Beyond. We'll be looking at the commitment of the people that are giving, as well as the people that are working. Let's pray for this message. God, I thank you so much for today, and I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to gather as a body, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you'll help us, Lord, to hear from you. Uh, Lord, this word is rich. This word is powerful, God, sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord, and it can pierce us, God. It can cut us to reveal our, our brokenness, and God, then it can come along right behind us with the other side, and it can heal us. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts today. Help every one of us who has ears to hear, Lord, have our hearts open to receive what you have for us. Help us, God, to live this life for your glory. As God, we do study and we do pray over this message above and beyond. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week, right, as we started off, again, we were talking about the motivations of the people. We were looking at the heart behind them. And we looked at the fact that, they guess, guess what, man? These folks, they came along and they found that they were, they were there was, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about is the fact that, you know, as they were doing their jobs and as they were committing themselves, there are a lot of times people that don't take action, that don't move forward. Because what happens is many times, and, and at the same time, there are occasions when people do things for God, but they're actually not doing them, they're not doing them for God, they're actually doing them for their own selfish purposes. We looked at also the fact that as these motivations or these intentions are in people's hearts, sometimes people can be drawn into things that seem like they're the right thing. They seem like they're godly. They have a portrayal of something that seems godly. What happens is they find themselves involved in something that in reality doesn't draw them to what God's called them to do. It draws them away from what God would have them to do. But as we look at this and we checked, and even when our motivations are proper, even when we know God's called us to do something. What is amazing is for many good-intentioned Christians with the proper motivations, their motivations never go from an intention to an actual act or an actual work or an actual ministry. It just becomes one of these things that gets lost. And we talked about last week how that happens. And I shared from my own personal life five different areas that I believe were the stopping points for so many people, so many Christians that have a desire to do something but don't follow through with it. The first one we looked at was fear. 
We looked at fear. We looked at a fear of the unknown, being afraid of what we don't know, knowing that God knows the unknown. We need not be fearful. The fear of failure. Failure is a tool that God uses to teach us and to train us. And then we looked at the fear of, of persecution, being afraid of facing persecution in this world. And God told us that if anyone is living godly, they are going to suffer persecution. But it's not a bad thing. It indicates the fact that we're on target for the Lord. Then we looked at the fact that it could be because we're unmotivated. An unmotivated person has several things that stop them, man. They, they have a desire in their heart, but, you know, for whatever reason, they just don't take that next step. And one of the ones, the first one we looked at was laziness. Just not being motivated enough to get out and get the work done. That's an indication of selfishness. Then we looked at feeling inadequate. Feeling inadequate. Boy, sometimes we don't feel worthwhile. Well, guess what? None of us are worthwhile. None of us are worthy, but God doesn't, not expecting us to be super talented. He's just simply asking us to be willing to be used. God makes us adequate. And then being hardened heart, having a hardened heart. We just don't have compassion for the things of God. We think about it. It seems like a good idea, but when it comes down to it, we just don't have that internal drive. And then the last one, reason why we're unmotivated is because of sin. We're involved in something we should not be involved in. And you can have all the intentions in the world, but if you're living a sinful lifestyle, if you're involved in things you should not be, you cannot serve God. Then we looked at being disorganized, right? Disorganized. Oh, my goodness. Just disorder in general, just having things kind of confused in our life. Then a lack of planning. People that don't plan, right? This is what it failed to plan, plan to, plan to fail. And then the last one was corruption. Why is disorganization through corruption? Because what happens, we start, let's say we have something we want to do, but we allow the things of the world to work their way into our thinking, and it corrupts them. Then we looked at the aspect of impatience. Many times people don't move forward because they're simply impatient. They're not willing to wait on God's timeline. And the last one we looked at was distractions. And boy, oh boy, do we live in a distracted society today. There are so many things that grab our attention. The devil does not want us to succeed, and he'll do all that he can to stop us. So as we recognize those things that want to stop us, what we're going to see today is a picture of people that have not allowed anything to stop them. They are stepping up. Now, we know there were some Israelites that did not step up, but a majority of them, they stepped up, man. They are bringing their offerings to God. And now the craftsmen, the same thing, everybody's at that same mindset, and we're seeing those instructions that God gave go from instructions only to now actions as the, the, the offerings are coming in, as the workers are working here in Exodus 36.1 as we pick up. We saw this word, it says, then wrought. That word wrought means create or to build, right? So then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord hath put wisdom and understanding to know how to do the work, all manner of work, for the service of the sanctuary, according to all that the Lord hath commanded. We saw last week, these craftsmen, guess what? They're already working, right? The offering's still coming in, and these guys are rocking it, man. They're over there working hard. This picture here, we see this offering is literally piling up. Bezalel and the boys, guess what? They're banging and clanging away. They're over there working. And guess what, man? The offering's coming through the door. And verse number two says this, And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in his heart the Lord had put wisdom, even, notice this part, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. So here, not only do we see Bezalel and Aholiab and the other craftsmen, they're, there, they're working as a team, man. They're, they've got things in a flow, and they're getting it done, right? But not just those men. It says here in that last part of the verse, even everyone whose heart stirred him up. 
He wasn't given the wisdom. He wasn't given the, the ability by God, but his heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. These are guys that say, hey, you know what? Hey, I don't have a whole lot of talents. I don't have a lot of skills, but you know what? I'm willing, I'm willing to serve. God spoke to my heart. I may not come with a whole lot to bring to the table, but you know what? I'm willing to serve. I want to I wanna help. So the men are working, and here come these other people along as well. As believers, guess what? We may not feel qualified. We may not feel qualified to be involved in the work of God. But just like these individuals in our scripture, guess what? We can be. God opens the door to everyone. It's not about our talents. It's not about our abilities. You see, it's not so much about the talent or the skill that we bring to God's work. It's the heart and the desire to be used that we bring to God's work that empowers God to work through us. You don't have to be something special. You just have to have a heart that's willing. That's all God's really looking for. And what we look at today, and I have an example we're going to pull from Scripture. We're going to look at an example that I know you guys are going to be very, very familiar. If you ever went to Sunday school as a small child, if you've ever just even had any kind of awareness of culture in the last 50 years in school or whatever, you've, you've heard this story, I'm sure. I was a lost man, and even I had heard this story. And we're going to talk about King David. But we're not going to talk about King David when he was a king. We're going to talk about David when he was just a boy. We're going to look at him here. I don't want you to pay, pay attention. This is, this is an, a, a description of David in 1 Samuel 16, 12. It says, now he was ruddy. Ruddy means red in complexion. And with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. So he's a good-looking young man, maybe with reddish-colored hair. 1 Samuel 17, David is described by King Saul. Now, I want you to understand, in this story, King Saul, God has taken his hand off of King Saul at this time. David is going to be the king. Saul does not know that at this point. David has already been anointed to be king. David doesn't understand what his role is going to necessarily be. But David is a man of, a young man, a boy, of faith, okay? Listen to Paul's description. He says, thou art but a youth, he says to David, and he, a man of war from his youth, speaking of Goliath. He's saying, look, this guy is a hardened soldier trained from birth on how to fight. So we're going to pick up our story in 1 Samuel 17, verses 10 and 11. And it says, and the Philistine said, this is Goliath, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Man, can you imagine that big, booming voice out of Goliath, a nine-foot-tall giant standing, yelling this out to this crowd. And here's the army of the Hebrews. The Israelites are standing, listening. Listen to their response in verse number 11. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. They were overwhelmed and greatly afraid. This man is so intimidating that when he speaks, an entire army of men are afraid, afraid. 1 Samuel 17, verse 32 says this, And David said to Saul, Now David, understand, David had been called up. He was sent by his father to bring his brothers some food. Hey, go check on them. Make sure they're okay. Run up some snacks for your older brothers who are up there getting ready to fight. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David says, Hey, I heard what he said, but you know what? Don't be afraid. I'll go face him. And, I mean, understand, he's a kid. He's a young man. Notice this, what Saul says to him. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David, remember who you are. I mean, let's get real, buddy. 
you're, you're a kid. This guy's a hardened soldier, and he's scared my entire army. You're telling me you're going to go face him? And this is David's response. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. Look, I'm a, I'm a herdsman. I've been a shepherd. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock in two different occasions. He had two different animals come against him. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. David says, look, when the lion came and he gathered that, 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 that lamb and he took him away, I ran after him. I took my stick and I beat him. And you know what I did? I wrestled that animal out of his mouth. And when I pulled him away, guess what? The lion then turned on me. And when he turned on me, and, I, and he says, I, I slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of the... Did I skip a verse? And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose again, I caught him by his beard and smote him. I did cover that. But verse 36 is this, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear with his... But he says, And this uncircumcised Philistine, this man who does not stand for our God, stand with our God, who is a pagan, shall be as one of them seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. I want you to pay attention here. What's important to notice here is he is not upset. He's not out there fighting for the honor of his king. He's not fighting for Saul. He's not even fighting for his people. He says it's because he's defied the armies of the living God. David's problem is the fact that that Philistine is talking bad about his God. He's going to stand for the Lord. Verse number 37. David said, Moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Listen, David's speaking with confidence here. No one around Saul has any confidence. They're scared to death. And David is standing flat-footed, staring him straight in the face and saying, You know what? I'll take care of him. I'll take care of him. Look at Saul's response. Amazingly, David had to be convincing. And the way he was standing, his faith was so strong. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. He says, wow, you know what? That's some faith. That's some faith. Go, David, go. Verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. Why did he choose five stones? Well, guess what? Goliath had four brothers, just in case. Just in case. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand. He had a sling in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistines. So here he's got a staff, and he's got, his, he's got his sling. He's got a little stick, and he's got his sling. And the Philistine, right, that big old Goliath came on, he says, came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. He has a shield bearer with him. This young, a small man standing with him beside the giant. And it says, and when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He made fun of him. He choked about him. He says, for he was but a youth and a ruddy and of a fair countenance. He looks at this young, fair-faced young man, and he's like, are you kidding me? 43, and the Philistine said unto David, am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? He says, am I a dog that you're going to come fight me with a stick? Do you notice I have a spear and a shield and a sword? You're bringing a stick out here. You think you're going to whip me like a dog? Notice this, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. His main god would have been Dagon. He was going to curse him by Dagon. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. The Philistine says, You know what? Come on, kid. I'm going to kill you, and the fowls, the birds are going to eat your flesh, and the beasts are going to drag your body off and eat your bones. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, 
But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Remember, his problem is not with the fact that he's defying Israel. It's because he's defying God. David stands for God. This day will the Lord deliver thee. Listen to this. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give, listen to this, he says right back to him, I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines, I'm going to give them you this day unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. You think I'm going to get dragged away, eaten by birds, and dragged away and my bones beaten? That's going to happen to you, Goliath. Why? The back part of that verse says, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This is about God. This is not about David. It's not about making a reputation for himself. It's about God showing through David. His faith is not in himself. His faith is in God. When God calls us to work, he's not calling us to be something special. He's not calling us to create a reputation for ourselves. He's calling us to represent him, that he can do the work. Listen to this next part. Verse 47, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saved not with sword and spear, for the battle is whose? The battle is the Lord's. This is not my fight. You're not going against David. You're going against the Lord, Goliath. Do you not realize? Dude, you're in big trouble. He will give you into our hands. He's going to kill you, Goliath. You think you're so strong. You're serving a false god. You're serving a statue made by man. You're getting ready to face off the guy against the god of the universe. There are people in this world right now that are facing off against the god of this universe with such confidence in themselves. But do they not see here? He says, the battle is the Lord's. Guess what? You and I, when we face that battle of this world, the battle's not ours. The battle is the Lord's. Verse 48, And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted. Okay, so the Philistine gathers his stuff, he gets his shield, he gets his sword, he gets his spear, and he starts marching towards David. And David, instead of standing there waiting, goes, you know what? He hastes, and look at the next part, verse 48, and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David, here that guy's walking towards him, and David goes, you know what? That's not quick enough. I'm ready to handle this thing right now. My God is going to hand you over to me. You're going to die, Goliath. And he runs with confidence into the battle. How many of us, we think about the things last week that stop us? Instead of running into the battle, we find reasons not to fight. We find reasons not to step up. God's calling David, and we need to respond like he did. And look at this in David, verse 49. And David put his hand in his bag. David was ready, man. He had what he needed. And he took thence a stone, and he slang it, man. He started slinging that thing up, buddy. David's been doing this a long time. And boy, he lets it go. And he smote the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone sunk into his forehead. He had a helmet on, but guess what? There was a space he could hit, and boy, God put that stone right where it needed to hit. And it says, and he fell upon his face to the earth. He knocked him out cold. And David didn't have a sword, but he told him, he promised, he said he was going to take his head. So he went and took Goliath's sword out of his own sheath as he laid there unconscious and caught off his head right in front of the Philistines. Victory. David did the impossible. But did he? No. David didn't do the impossible. God did. God did. See, David wasn't a trained warrior. David wasn't experienced in battle. This is his first battle scenario. This is the first time ever facing off any kind of soldier, any kind of warrior. David wasn't powerful. David wasn't strong. David didn't have physical strength. David brought one thing to the table. David brought faith. He was a man of strong faith and great dependence upon God. And see what brought... And David brought to the fight was his willingness to serve God and not serve himself. He 
wasn't worried about himself. Because realize, David could have easily gone back to shepherding. He was just supposed to deliver the food and come back. That's all he was supposed to do. His dad's waiting on him. Where's David? What in the world's taking him so long? He should be back with that empty basket with icing him with the, with the goodies for his brothers. But David's out there facing the giant. David could have walked away and faced no ridicule because no, no one had any expectations of him. He could have walked away guilt-free. But see what David saw? David saw an opportunity for God to do something miraculous through him. God could do a work. All he needed was a willing vessel. And that's just what God's needing from us. You see, David stepped up to the challenge before him. The Israelites, guess what? Right now in the midst of this, they're stepping up to the challenge that's before them. And that's the same thing God's asking us to do. There is a challenge before us that may seem insurmountable. It may seem like a Goliath, right? He's called every Christian alive on this earth to tell people who he is, why, why it is that he came and what he's done. And first of all, if you look at who he is, if you're not familiar, if you're watching this today and you don't know who Jesus truly is, I'm going to let you know Jesus is going to tell us himself who he is. John 8, 58, Jesus saith unto them, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. I want you to realize this is over 2,000 years before Jesus is alive on this earth. He's talking about Abraham. He doesn't say, I was back then. He says, I am, present tense. He says, before Abraham was, I am. I am, not pointing back into history, present tense. He's pointing to his eternality. He's been around. He's lived forever. And listen to this. And where we heard that, that name before, the I am. We've studied Exodus, right? We know. We remember back in Exodus chapter number 3, verse number 2. And it says, in the angel of the Lord. And when you see that, the angel of the Lord, and you see that capitalized L-O-R-D, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. It says here, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Now, I want you to consider something, just a little bit of a side note. I just want us to look at this just for a second. I want you to consider that Christ appears here in the form of a bush in the desert, right? He appears in the form of a bush in the desert. Now, in Isaiah 53, verse number 2, I want you to listen to this. In description of Jesus Christ, prophesying of him, he says this, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness when, he shall see, when we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. And here we have an indestructible bush that has grown up out of a desert land that sits here. It's literally in no form that we can actually see except for a raging fire. That's what we see, a raging fire. And how does the Bible say that Jesus will one day reveal himself? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, listen to this. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure it's just a coincidence that that all works out that way, but you know what? It's pretty amazing. Jesus is God. He is God. Listen to this. In verse number 14, as we continue in Exodus chapter 3, he says, And God said unto Moses, this is speaking from the bush, I am that I am. Remember? Thousands of years in the future, Jesus says, I am. And he says, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. He uses the exact same 
name for himself. Jesus Christ is God. Then why he came? Boy, we look at Romans 8, uh, 5, 8. It says, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, right? While we were yet sinners, meaning we were undeserving, Christ came. And it says that Christ died for us. That's why he came. So we understand who he is. He was God. We understand why he came. It was to die for the sins of the world. It was to die for this world. He came because he loved us and because he, had a, he knew that we had desperate need of a Savior. Desperate need. And then what he's done. What he's done. Colossians 1.22 says this, In the body of his flesh through death. He came because he loved us. That's why he came. And then what he did while he was here, in the body of his flesh through death to present you. He died. He gave his life. Listen to this next part. To present you, us, to present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That one day when Jesus comes to judge this world, he will not see us as anything but holy and unblameable and unreprovable because he paid the sins that we should have paid. Jesus offers righteousness to the unrighteous. And guess what? That's everybody. See, our task, our task is to reach the lost world. We're supposed to reach this lost world through the conversation of our mouth and the conversation of our life. We're supposed to impact this place. So this is our impossible task. This is our Goliath, right? This is our tabernacle building project. God's given us this to do. Right? We can be fearful, unmotivated, disorganized. We can be impatient, distracted. Those, we could claim those as our Goliaths, or we can overcome them trusting in the Lord. As long as we don't allow our intentions of our hearts to be discouraged. Oh, if we don't allow those things from last week to impact us, guess what? God can accomplish his will in this world through us. <laughs> and what's God's will? I've told you before, John 3, 17. Boy, listen to this. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not his desire. But that the world through him might be saved. God wants the whole world to know him. And if we will trust in him instead of ourselves, if we trust in ourselves, those fears from last week, guess what? Those things are going to stop us. They're going to be strong. Oh, but if we won't trust in ourselves, but we'll trust in him, then God can accomplish his goal through us. Ephesians 1 9 says this, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. God's will, God's good pleasure is to reach this world. It was within him, it was a part of who he was. Then in Philippians 2:13, for it is God which worketh in you. Now it's in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's desire to reach this world. Now it's us. He was reaching, and now it's our job. It's our job. So it comes down to our willingness, our willingness to surrender ourselves, our desires to God's, to desire to, 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 to put God's will over our own, to put God's hopes over our own, to put God's intentions over our own. It's a, such a struggle for us, right? As we stated week after week, this is a battle of the heart, right? This whole aspect of what we've been talking about in this mini-series is a matter, it's a matter of the heart, and this is a battle for the hearts of men. A willingness to trust in him or a willingness to trust in ourselves. Now, we can stay comfortable. We'd be like David, maybe, and, and have, if, if he'd done it wrong, he would have gone back to the comfort life of just shepherding. We could do that and do nothing for the Lord. Or we could get outside of our comfort zone like David did and say, you know what? I'm going to step up because I trust God. He's going to do something miraculous. 
through my life, and I don't want to be sorry for what I didn't do, of saying woulda, coulda, shoulda, boy, if I could only go back. Guys, we get one shot at this. We can think of plenty of reasons why we won't do it. We can think of all the reasons in the world. I listed five last week, but I bet there's a whole bunch more we can come with of why we're not going to trust the Lord and we're going to let him down. But guess what? What if we didn't do that? What if we didn't find a reason not to? What if we just said, you know what? God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to trust you right in this situation. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I don't have talents and abilities to steal. I don't bring a lot to the table. But you know what? I'm going to give you my all. I'm going to give you my all. I'm going to go above and beyond. What if that was our attitude? What could God do through us? What could be accomplished through our lives? There have been people throughout history that we've seen God's used in miraculous ways, and all they said was, you know what? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Not because they were special, not because they were talented, but because they had a willingness to be used. And let me tell you, these Israelites at this time right now, yes, they've, been, they've had problems in the past, but right now they are all in. They are all in. Verse 3, and they received to Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the, off, of the service of the sanctuary to make it with all. And they brought yet upon him free offerings every morning. Man, these, they, they're literally bringing it all day long. And every morning, guess what? They're showing up more stuff. <laughs> they're loading up these craftsmen, man. They're taking all the stuff that's come in so far. And Moses is, he's shifting it over and putting it over here. And what we find is, guess what, man? The start of every day, these same stiff-necked Israelites who before didn't want to do things for God, now they're committed. Their necks are torn towards God. These generationally poor ex-slaves, guess what? They now have a little bit of excess in their lives. They've lived with nothing all their life, and now they have gold and silver and, and fine linen. But what do they do? Instead of holding it on to themselves and being selfish like we do in our world, me, 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 mine, 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 they go, you know what? I want to give it to God. I want to give it to God. And they're lining up to bring their very best to God. And when you and I bring our talents, our, our treasures, our, 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 our skills to God, do we give him our absolute best? I don't know. I pray that that's the case. I pray that we give God our best. Verse 4 says this, And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they made. Okay, so the men are working here. Boy, oh boy, here they go. While they're working, they're cutting, they're crafting, they're shaping, they're molding, they're stitching, they're doing their whole shebang, man. They're over here working away. And they start to notice something. And they start to look up from their work, and they, they look and they notice that the lines are still full of people bringing their best to God. And then they look at the piles of stuff that are all around them that they're supposed to be working with, and they stop working for a minute. And then they walk over to, to Moses. Look at this, verse number 5. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. As an indicator of their hearts, man, they have exceeded their mandate. They've gone beyond what they were supposed to give. Amazingly, prior to this, they were always looking to do the minimum. They're always looking to do just enough. Up to this point... There's not been one single occasion where these Israelites have said, you know what, oh man, they're not clamoring to serve God. No. Up to this point, we've been, we've, we've been walking with these guys for a year, over a year and a half now. And as we walk with them, there's not been one time where they've seen them go, you know what, this is about him. It's always been about them. God, we need food. God, we need water. God, we need protection. It's all been about them. And we live in a society right now that's all about us, and we need to shift our hearts, shift our hearts. 
It's not, it was never for what's good, what's, what can I do for God, but what can God do for me? And that mindset, right, of doing something for God, it's always so many times in our life, it's about doing the minimum instead of doing the maximum. There are people that every single day, they get up in the morning, and let's say they're faithful to pray. They do it. Praise God for those that are faithful to pray. If you're faithfully praying, praise God. But there are a lot of people that faithfully pray just enough to say that they prayed. <laughs> just enough to check the box. You know, I pray, I pray at my meals. Well, I pray first thing in the morning. I pray for my kids. I pray for the day. God bless my day. They do the bare minimum. Or they read their Bible. May praise God for those of you that read your Bible every day. If you read your Bible every day, praise the Lord. But some people come to the Word of God, and they come to be transformed. They come to be enriched. They come to be fed, to go out and face the world for Christ. And there's others of us who read the Word just to say that we read the Word. We do just enough. We have a work day at the church. And in our minds, we say, you know what? I probably should make a showing. I'll just roll there for a little while. I'll move some stuff around. I'll help out with a couple of things. But you know, I got a schedule. I got things I need to get done. God understands. Hey, man, God knows how busy my life is. He knows. That's the mindset that we have. Looking to do the least. What if God was that way? What if that was God's attitude? What if we were like, man, you know what? God's up in heaven and we're praying and God says, you know what? <laughs> I know they need those prayers answered, but I mean, hello, there's a pandemic in the world. Do you not realize I got a lot of things? To, I got a lot on my plate right now, guys. I'll get to you when I get to you. I'll tell you what, why don't I just give you a nice sunrise? Would that be enough? Just give us the minimum. But that's not God. That's not God. Ephesians 3, verse 19 and 20 says this. It says, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be, listen to this, filled with all the fullness of God. All the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. More than we can ask for. Can't even think of. God can go above and beyond that for us. According to the power that worketh in us. Thank God he is not a God of the minimums. God never does the minimum. God always goes above and beyond. We look in Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your needs. Not some of your needs. All your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Again, he goes above and beyond. He pushes things. And what should be our response to God's abundant grace, to God's provision as he's walked, as he's shown us what we should do? We know what to do. He's, he lived it. He, he reflected it for us. He modeled it for us in this world. First Thessalonians 4.1 says this, Furthermore, then we beseech you. He says, I beg you. Brethren, boys and brothers and sisters, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of, how, of, of us how ye ought to walk, you know how to live for Christ, you know how to let God use you to please God, so ye would abound more and more. He's saying don't do the minimum. Abound more and more. Go the limits, man. Stretch this thing. Do more for God. And for the first time, these Israelites, guess what? They're following God's example. We see it right here. Not only, right? Not only have they done what God's asked them to do, but they've gone above and beyond what he's asked them. They're not doing it because they have to. They're doing it because they want to. 
It's their heart, right? We call this in the Bible cheerful giving. It's in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 8. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as purposed in his heart, so let him not grudge, not give grudgingly, but of necessity, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God loveth a cheerful giver, man. This person offers themselves, right? Do we offer ourselves to God cheerfully? Do we serve him with that kind of heart? And what's to be the result from verse number six? Listen to this, verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always have all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. God says, you will abound. You will abound. Let me use your life, and I will do great and mighty things through it. Let me work in you. Galatians 6, verse 7 says this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. So what I put in is what I'm going to get out. I can apply that principle in every part of my life. That principle is true with God. Be not deceived. Don't fool yourself. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Verse 9 says this, And let us not be weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. Though the world may not respond, so people may not always respond. We don't quit. We don't give up. Don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Faint not means don't quit. So we're not to faint. We're not to, we're not to quit. We just keep doing right. No matter what the world says, no matter what our circumstances may say, we do right. Verse number six, and Moses gave commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. Listen to that. They were restrained. Moses calls for an end of the offering. He says, look, let's wrap it up, guys. This is enough. And what's amazing, and these Israelites, right, in this moment, they're so committed to give to God, they have to actually be restrained. They've got to go, hey, no, 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 no don't, no, 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 uh, 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 stop, stop, just stop. Guys, stop. I know you want to give, but right now we don't need any more stuff. I, no, hey, hey, you've got, uh, no, uh, stop. Guys, take your stuff back to the house. Go back to the house. Verse 7, for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and listen to this last part, and too much, too much. What if today's church had this kind of heart? What if our missions offerings, hey guys, we got way more than we need. What if our offerings, we got way more than we need. What if God's work was so well funded and so well staffed that God had to actually shift our, our thinking and shift us off of taking care of him and shifting on to taking care of ourselves. What if we had to be convinced to take care of ourselves instead of the opposite? Where we're so convinced to take care of ourselves, we've got to be convinced to take care of God's work. It's a sad state of affairs, but that's where we are. What if things were changed? What if we were actually neglecting ourselves in order to serve him? You know what we would call that? Denying ourselves. Denying ourselves. Same thing we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. What we see is that these individuals have shifted from necessary giving, giving to abundant giving. They're willing to do above and beyond. They're modeling our Lord Jesus Christ as they give sacrificially, right? I'm afraid that in our day and age, 
there are few people who understand that kind of giving. There's not many people that can relate to that. Because you know why? 2 Timothy 3, 2, I feel like this, this verse comes up all the time, but it's so important for us to understand in the day and age that we live in. It says in that verse that we are lovers of our own selves. We love ourselves, and because we love ourselves, we are so committed to take care of us that we always take precedence over anything else. It's a sad state of affairs. And guess what? People that love themselves are much more about receiving gifts than they are giving. In most people's prayer lives, God, could you do this for me? God, could you do that for me? God, could you do this? When I read the Bible, can you do this in my life? Can you give me this? Can you give me peace? Can you receive, 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 receive? God wants a heart of a giver. But what if? What if we just decided to do it God's way? <laughs> and give not only our resources and our time and our talents, but ultimately what we know this is all about, our very hearts. What if we gave our hearts? And we didn't. We didn't give the least we could possibly give. What if we gave our all? What if we gave our all? Because for the first time in our lives, we took our eyes off of ourselves, right? And we were allowed ourselves to look, to look above and beyond. We can invest in this world, invest in ourselves, or we can invest in God. There's only one that's eternal. Help God help us to always look above and beyond that we might give you our very best. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the day that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for our message. And Lord, I do pray, Father, that you help us, Lord, to have our hearts and our minds upon the things of the, uh, uh, off this earth, God. Help us to have our hearts and minds on the things of heaven, not the things of this world. This world will never satisfy us. It will never give us, Lord, what it is that we need. You will always be our sufficiency. And I pray, God, that you help us as a body to turn to you in every aspect of our lives. Help us not be so focused upon fulfilling self, but, Lord, help us to come to your word that you might grow us, build us, strengthen us, challenge us, that our prayer life might be bold, and, Lord, that it might be for the sake of this world, for the lost world that's around us, and not about self-fulfillment. God, use us, Father, for your glory. Use our daily life, God, as an indicator to this world of who you are and how greatly you can change their lives. Help us to be like David. Help us to face the Goliaths of this world with confidence in you, not in ourselves. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about what you're talking about. I, I heard the message, and yeah, it, was, it, it spoke to me, but you know what, I, I don't know that I could say that I'm a child of God. Guys, almost 19 years ago, somebody asked me a question. They said, if you were to die today, if this is your last day on earth, are you certain you'd go to heaven? And I searched my heart, and I was honest with myself, and that's what I'm asking you to do. Be honest with yourself. Search your heart. Now, I'm not talking about your religiosity. I'm not talking about the fact that you believe in God. I'm not talking about the things that you've done. I'm not talking about the good works that you've done. None of those things. Bottom line is this. God says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we have committed one sin, which everyone has, then every one of us is separated from God. And there's only one way to be restored to God, one way and one way only. And it's not through religion. It's not through magic prayers. It's not through ceremonies. It's through the blood of Christ. When Jesus went on the cross, he died for the sins of the world. He died for your sins and my sins. And what he does is he offers from the, from the cross. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A gift. So from the cross, as Jesus hung on the cross, he offered a gift to the world. And it's up to the individual to receive it. August 11, 2001, 
I received it. My wife received it. God changed our life forever, gave us a home in heaven, and that very same thing can happen to you right now. If by faith you're willing to receive Christ, understand you are a sinner, you're separated from God because of your sin. Christ came and died on the cross for the sins of the world, and because of his precious, sinless blood, God created a gateway, a doorway, a bridge to him, and that bridge is named Jesus. And by faith in him, you can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. It's not a magic prayer. It's not the words that will save you. It will be the intention of your heart. And if you'll pray to God and you'll trust him with your whole heart, he will save you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're out there right now and you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you can pray this prayer. And if you mean it, God will save you. It's not a matter of the words. It's your heart he's listening to. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to pray out loud, and I want you to pray with me in your heart, in your mind, or out loud, whichever you choose. Pray right now if you want to receive Christ. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and God, I am so sorry for all that I've done wrong. I understand that my sin has separated me from you, but I don't want it that way. I trust that you died on the cross for my sins, and I'm asking you right now, by faith, to pay the sin debt that I cannot pay. God, to open the door of heaven through your life, your death, your burial, and your resurrection. By faith, I'm trusting in you to save my soul. God, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.